0: to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, New Chapel. How's everybody doing today? Doing All right. So good to see you. Hey, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Joe Bevilacqua. I'm the lead pastor here at New Chapel. Honored that you're here with us today. If you have a Bible, open it with me to the book of St. Matthew, chapter 24, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Uh, I want to give just a couple announcements before we jump into the meat and potatoes while buckets are still rolling. Uh, the first announcement that I have is about this Wednesday. Uh, everybody say, This Wednesday. Yeah, this Wednesday is going to be a night of student culture, and that is our uh, ministry towards middle school and high school age students. So if you have a middle school or high schooler, bring them out this Wednesday. Doors open at 6.30, and the service begins at 7 o'clock. Pastor Brian's going to be preaching that. And uh, more than that, they're going to find community with other people their age that follow their faith. And how many of y'all just believe that the next generation needs to know other people who are in the same faith? Amen, somebody? So make sure that you bring them out for that. And then uh, I also want to let you know, after this service today, we are having Worship Team Instrumental Interest Meeting and Tryout, which is the longest name ever. But that to say, if you play an instrument and you've ever thought about being part of the worship team, Cammy's like giving God praise right there. Uh, If you've ever thought about playing bass, guitar, acoustic guitar, keys, drums, after we dismiss today, you'll just kind of stay in here and come towards the front and uh, the worship team will meet you down here and we have instruments for you. So if you didn't bring yours, it's fine. Uh, I do want to say to the person that brought the accordion uh, that... There's a lot of things I'd like to say, but I've got to get into this message. Um, Again, if you have your Bibles, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, God has a mission. Amen? We've been talking about the great mission of God. And we went through a season this past fall, if you weren't here, called Made for More, where we encouraged people to find their God-given purpose. And this is really the answer, the part two to Made for More, which is this thought that What is the more? It's purposeful. It's God's call. This is all true. But it is the fact that God has a mission, something he's trying to accomplish in this world, in the here and now. And our theme verse for this whole series is out of John. Stay in Matthew. I'll just read it for you. But John's Gospel, chapter 20, Jesus said to them, peace to you. And this is the only place in your life where you'll find peace. The only place where there's resolve. It's found when you're in this spot. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You are sent by God. I'll pass you. I don't know. I've never had a great call from God. There it is. White and taupe. <laughs> Not black and white. But there it is. You have a calling from God. Amen, church? You are sent. You are called. You, you're commissioned by God to make a difference in this world. And that's the only spot where you'll have peace. Is when you are resting in your relationship with him? Yes. And then also you are on mission with your God, sharing the freedom that you have. Now, back in the 80s and the 90s, it was very popular in church circles to officially articulate a mission statement In fact, we saw a lot of banners on walls With flags and the whole deal And, and it's not a bad thing In fact, you know, I, I think it's a good thing in many ways But they would, they would come into the next vogue Saying of, you know, we're committed to make True followers of Jesus You know, and that'd be on the wall Or we want to make fully devoted disciples And it would all be on the wall, stuff like that And they were trying to sit in rooms Dream up a great mission statement As you would for a company or something else like that And, and again, there's nothing wrong But I would say it this way. The church doesn't need a mission. Write it down. The mission of God needs a church. Like, we have a mission. You can rate it in many different ways. The truth of the matter is, it exists. It is there. The mission needs a church. In fact, if you're taking notes, put in parentheses after that. Really, we're talking about you. So, like, the church needs a mission? That's me. It needs a you. It needs somebody to stand up and to make a difference in this life. And so we need to be the church that exists for the world. We don't have to make the discernment between God Almighty taking care of us and our needs and us being people that are willing to share the freedom that God has given us. Now, I get a question uh, more often now in the last three years than I ever have in any of the time in my previous uh, time in ministry, and here's the question. Pastor, are we living in the last days? Are we living in the last days? Y'all look at me. Ready? Yes. <laughs> You're in the last of the last days. From my study of the Word of God, we're, we're past due on, on the imminent return of Jesus. And when you start talking about the return of Jesus, and the, the end of days, it, it's something that I think gets us on the edge of our seat. Our ears perk up a little bit. And I will say this. Jesus doesn't even know the day or the, or the hour. Only God the Father. But at the same time, there's things all through Scripture that tell us, hey, I'm not going to tell you the day or the hour, but I'm going to tell you the season. I'm going to tell you what things look like when the Son of Man is going to return. I had you open to Matthew 24. Let me read it for you starting in verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Uh, Everybody look at me for just a second. This is kind of a concern for me as a senior pastor because this isn't really talking about just the world. Yeah, the world's cold. They're, they're, they're cold. But the love of the church, in many ways, is, is growing cold. We're getting a little cold and narrow with people. We were freed from things, and then we're kind of casting shade on people that have their own hang-ups, and you forgot what it was like before Jesus. And, and the, the climate that we see, this love growing cold, is the climate that we see today. It is a world that is falling apart. I love the verbiage that uh, Pastor Brian used, this world is jacked. That's a very, very new chapel way to say it, by the way. <laughs> the world is jacked. And, and you look at this world, and it makes, it makes good people kind of circle the wagons. It really does, because there is a storm. The world has lost its mind, right? I mean, it, it has gone crazy. It doesn't know what it's trying to do. It's eating at itself and fighting against itself and fighting against everybody else. It's grabbing at straws to try to try to articulate what it wants, and it'll violate what it says in one time, saying another great point that they want you to live by, and the world is jacked. And and so this storm is making rational, reasonable, and and especially God-fearing Christian people, it's making some of our love walk grow a little bit cold in the midst of all of it. While there is an increase of evil in this world, this is true, there's also been an increase of good. So the world is evil, and it's getting more evil, but it's not that everything's trending this way. It's that, yeah, the world's getting more evil, but it's not just that the light is shining brighter. It's that God's goodness is taking more ground. It's being more fruitful. It's producing, can I put it that way, more than it ever has. And so here's what you're really experiencing. It actually is uh, more of a contrast that you're becoming aware of, where things are darker and things are brighter. So I love what I'm hearing in the news about the revival in Asbury. That, that touches my heart that people are getting really set free, and it's a revival of repentance, and it's spreading, if you haven't heard because they don't want you to hear. Uh, it's, it's going all over to Christian universities and secular universities and to churches, and it shows no sign of stopping, by the way. Uh, here's open, right? But. Let me just say, as excited as I am about that revival, it's because they have to talk about it. The whole eyes of the world are on that, so they have to talk about it. And here's what I mean. You need to realize that you are living in the most fruitful time in all of godly and Christian history. More people have accepted Jesus Christ and become born again, part of his church, in the last 40 years than in the 1,980 years combined combined. And so the revival is like, we're praying for re- the revivals on everybody. It's happening. It's here. You're living it. And if you can engage in it, you'll see fruit from it. And so even though things are getting darker, things are getting lighter. And here's the point I want to make with that. There's an incredible opportunity for what? Non-Christians to be saved. We're looking at a dark world and we're like, they're all going to hell. Right. Right. But instead of making that just grieve you, and it is a grievous thing, let it be something that ignites you into action. They're dying and going to hell. I don't want anything to do with it. Oh, stop there. You want everything to do with them because somebody left their Christian little huddle and wanted something to do with you. Can I hear an amen? Great opportunity. That passage continues. It says this in verse 14. And this gospel. Everybody say the word gospel. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then what's going to happen? The end will come. So we're looking at these indicators, one of which we see evil, we see good. We also see this indicator, and it's the fact that the gospel will be preached to all nations. All nations is a phrase in English. In Greek, the Bible language, it would convey this. It would say, to all ethnos, which is not just a nationality. It's not saying, well, we're going to reach the Italians and we're going to reach the Dutch, and we're going to reach the English. It's more than that. Let me put it in the context of American society. We're going to reach the country music crowd. We're going to reach the old rock and rollers, right? And then we're going to, we're going to reach the old, old rock and rollers that actually know what rock and roll is. Come on, somebody. And... and <laughs> right we're going to reach we're going to reach the pastor joes i think there's eight other ones in america you know like whatever i am it's every people group so it's not just nationality from a nation it's identity it's the subsex within a culture and jesus says when you start getting into all of those you watch then the son of man's going to come the, the end of all things are near and so this is not our time to be unprepared This is the reason why we're taking time out of our teaching schedule to talk about the mission of God is because his church needs to be prepared for all of this and engaged in all of it. Verse 37, same chapter. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, this is going to be a theme that is threaded through this whole message here today. I think that you'll see why it's so important but it is the fact that uh, Noah and the story of Noah really has some parallels with end times and especially what God's church, the church of Jesus, should be doing during the end times. And I know that inevitably in a room this size, there's someone in the room that says, well, Pastor, I just don't believe in the flood. I don't believe that it was literal. And, and listen, friend, I understand. You have every right to be wrong. <laughs> and... <laughs> I'm telling you from my study of the word, yes, but also hard science, it is untenable to say that there was not a worldwide flood. In fact, back up at Country Church in the North Country where I went, they would say that there was an ice age. Now, they didn't have God's gift education, but I know what ice is made out of. And so let me just help you, everybody. There was an ice age. Sure, it was because there was a worldwide flood. In fact, uh, a little story about the school that I grew up in. There was a girl, and she came into class, she was elementary age, and and uh, she had gone to Sunday school and heard about Noah's Ark and the Great Flood. And She came in there. She was talking about it. And the teacher said, oh, sweetie, that, that's, that's nice. But, you know, that's a fairy tale. That's, that's just, that, that didn't happen. And she said, no, I'm telling you, Noah's Ark. We learned about it. It's in the Bible. And she defended it. And the teacher started to actually get a little snippy. And they started playing a little tennis game, fighting back and forth. And, and, and then uh, finally, I mean, it really got heated. And, and the little girl says, well, when I go to heaven, I'll ask Noah myself. And the teacher says, well, what if Noah didn't go to heaven? She says, well, you can ask him. (laughs) Kind of funny, isn't it? (laughs) If it's going to be like the days of Noah, I want to read for you what those days looked like. Genesis 6, Bible says this, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil at that time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. Any parents of teenagers get to the spot where you're grieved that you made them? You know, just like, ugh. You wouldn't really kill them, but you've thought of it. Shame the devil and tell the truth. Come on, parents. You thought about where to dump the body? I don't know. Okay, The the Lord... Hey, act right, teenagers. The Lord was grieved. Come on, Jesus. Come back in the room. The Lord was grieved that he had made man, and his heart was filled with pain. That's actually what it is, parents, isn't it? So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind who I created from the face of the earth, men and animals, for I'm grieved. But, everybody say but. But But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is like your mom saying, man, I just wonder who would be willing to help me out with cleaning off the table. I wonder who'd be willing to help me fold this laundry. And God is saying, I just want to kill everybody. But he found favor in the eyes of Noah. What is he saying? Noah, help me with these people. (laughs) Help me with these people. Help me with, with my relationship with them. I don't want to wipe out mankind. I'm not looking to wipe them out. I'm actually looking, here it is, I'm looking for somebody God today, in these end times, he's looking for somebody. He's looking for somebody that would say, hey, favor God's on my life, let's go. I'm not perfect, but I can tell my story. I can tell what God has done in my heart. He's not looking to end this thing without somebody rising up and making a difference. We read that word just a second ago, gospel. And uh, that, that word gospel in the Bible, original language, Greek, uh, is euangelon. And that is the worst butchery of the Greek uh, but you don't know either, and so, uh, <laughs> you angelon, and the you on there is talking about like uh, good news, uh, something that's being shared that's good, and then the angelon is actually personal. It actually is talking about like an angelic being. It literally is the word for angel, but it's citing a person, and and so when we think about the mission of God, and we think about sharing God's good news, it's not just the fact that it is good news. In fact, write this down. It's not just a good message. It's a good messenger. Gospel is a good message from a good messenger. It That's good news. When you read gospel in the Bible, it's not just the good news because you you can take the Bible and hit people over the head with it. It doesn't work. You can condemn them to hell with it. So it's not just The truth of what the gospel is, it is the gospel and a person who's willing to be a good messenger in that process. That's gospel. Can can I hear an amen? Are you tracking with me, everybody? So that's the vision that God has. Is it the message or the person? Yes. It's it's both together that make the difference in someone else's life. And, And when the message works, man, it's great, but it's because a person is personally giving that great message. Isaiah 52 Talking about my feet. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. What are we preaching about? Peace and salvation. The good news that the God of Israel reigns. Look at me, New Chapel. What is our message? Peace and salvation. That our God still reigns. That no matter how bad this world gets, our God is on the throne. That when we make him Lord, yeah. When we make him Lord over our lives, we place God in control over our destiny. That we're no longer subject to the God of this world. Our God reigns. No matter what happens in public school, my God reigns. No matter what happens in a kid that has gone wayward, a kid that's gone prodigal, my God reigns. No matter what my wallet looks like, let's baptize it. Pools in the back, my God reigns. Can I hear an amen, somebody? That's our message. It's peace and it's salvation, the fact that God reigns. Now, the only place that Jesus ever comments on the solution to a hurting earth is found in Luke's gospel. I want to read it because we have this good news. We have the message that we're supposed to share. What does it all look like and why isn't it happening at the degree that we would think that it would? Luke 10 and verse 2. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Look at me, it's not a harvest problem. The harvest, in fact, today, you could leave here today. And if you wanted to go feed somebody, somebody would eat. If you want to pray with somebody, somebody would receive prayer. If you want to lead somebody to Jesus, they would receive Jesus. It is not a harvest issue. The harvest is plentiful, it is a worker issue. We have problems with our labor force. That's the problem. When Jesus comments on the solution to mankind, he says, look, pray to the Lord of the harvest. This is what we got to be praying about, is the fact that we need to reach people, but we need workers that are willing to bring in that harvest. We think it's a harvest problem, don't we? In fact, other churches that are a little bit more spirited, you know, preaching churches like that, the preacher will get up there and be like, I want you to touch three people and tell them harvest time. Harvest time, harvest time, harvest time, time." you know what I'm talking about? It's not that funny. You shouldn't laugh that hard at that. (laughs) It's time for the harvest. Here's the deal. Harvest is here. Right. It is present. Right. It, is, it is plentiful. We, I'm, I'm telling you, it's good eating. What's the problem? The workers. We got to pray to God. The shortage is in that. So how do we become that Somebody. Right? God found somebody. How do we share that gospel where we're the good vessel with the good message? How do we become those people that say, I'm going to be part of this because this is not meant to be something that's delegated to your pastor. We are not going to get the job done if it's on me. I know my work ethic, okay? I'm a hard worker, and I can't reach everybody. It's on all of us, the rank and file of the born-again Christians, the people that say they have a relationship with God. It is on us together to make a difference. What does it look like when we make these changes, become the people? Write it down. You're going to get on mission with Jesus and you're going to affect, write it down, those people who are closest to you. Who do you reach first? Don't be so bent out of shape about the nations of the world. We need to reach the nations. Don't be so bent out of shape about all of Michigan is just going to hell. Focus on on your people. Focus on your household. Focus on your family and your friends. The the person you need to be is someone who is, number one, focused on on your home. Genesis chapter 7, when it's talking about Noah, the Bible says this, Then the Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark. He says, You and your whole family, because I found you righteous in this generation. I want to jump to the New Testament, talking about Christians. It says this in Acts. It says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Here it is, you and your whole household. Do you see the connection there? So, this end times harvest, it's like we think, oh, it's so big, we need to reach everybody. And we do, but if you start thinking about everybody, you're gonna go so unfocused, you're not gonna be effective. So, who do you focus on first? Your people, your kids, your parents, your in laws. Your friends, your family, your siblings, these are the people right around you that you already have an in into their, their, their life. You're doing life with them, and, and what you need to do is be a person who's willing to reach out to them. When it says you and your household in the Greek, it would bear it out this way. You and your sphere of influence, sphere of influence. The Greek word there is actually oikos, which is this gross yogurt that Kaya buys from Myers that's <laughs> oikos. Awful. She says she wants to make us healthy, and I think it's making me sick. But uh, (laughs) that Greek word, oikos, is talking about you and your household, your people, the people all around you. And every once in a while, over the course of a year, probably six times a year, New Chapel gives you an opportunity to invite people to church in a time that would be really effective for them. Socially, would be something that they would be very receptive to. And the next one that's coming up, write it down. It is going to be Easter Sunday, coming up in just a couple of weeks. Easter is on April 9th, and uh, for this Easter, last year, we were so (laughs) blown away by the response. Uh, We had our first service with three services. We were blowing up, and so we are continuing that here, especially with more room in the auditorium. Uh, So at 8 o'clock, 9.30, and at 11, so three service times, we're going to be changing things up a bit. Heads up, go team. We're going to be scheduling people uh, during those times, but the idea is there are people in your world that they might... They might be on the fringe with God right now, or they might not have their mind made up about religion. They might be even atheists. But I will tell you, in Grand Rapids at least, if you're an atheist, your granny is still going to call you and make sure that you went to church on Easter, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and even if they're atheists, they don't believe in God, they know they better not lie to granny. And so you have extreme examples like that, and then here's really what it looks like. Your friends, family, the people that you're coworkers with they're really actually looking for a church to be able to go to like this, where they can come in, not be embarrassed, not anything like that, but, but celebrate Easter. And I promise you this, I will, in a very relatable way, give a gospel message, give an invitation for people to accept Christ. It won't embarrass you or them. And I promise you, if you bring friends and family anytime, much less on Easter, and when I say heads bowed, eyes closed, you know, and I ask if anybody wants to accept Jesus, lift your hand. If you're Peeking, which I know happens, and your friend slips up their hand, friend, that is your favorite day at church because it's a day for new life. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Next thing, write this down. We want to engage in the mission of God and become that person. Where do we do it? How do we do it? Well, we do it, write it down, in this generation, in this generation. So we do it for those people that are closest to us, but we also do it in the world that we're living. And what does that look like? It is the times and the place that you currently live. How many of y'all have just noticed that this world can leave you left wanting? Yeah. uh, They promise a lot, and they don't come through with all of their promises. And I know that people get upset about cultural changes and, and the fact that, uh, uh, teachers are now, even at Kenway Hills High School, teaching sexually deviant behavior uh, to their students. And, and they're teaching something called critical race theory. Do you know what critical race theory is? Look at me. Remember this. It is taking racism, which is evil, and turning it around in another form. And it's saying that people are inherently born racist I, as a born-again Christian, fundamentally reject that notion. That is the most ungodly thing I could ever imagine. Wasn't it Dr. King that said we need to be judged according to the content of our character, not our birth, not our pedigree? Isn't that the problem? And so you see things in the world, and it grieves our heart. You see things, and it it, it lets you down. You see economic policies that carve you out. You see uh, people who are in moral decline, schools, businesses in moral decline. What do you do about it? Everybody look at me. Run for office. Stop just sharing a meme on Facebook and thinking that you accomplished something. Ooh, that burns a lot, right? Because you're like, take that, you know? (laughs) Show them because all they need is the truth. Hey, truth bombs are great. I can throw them with the best of you. But we need to be influential. And so if we're going to make a difference, we're going to have to open up conversations that are awkward you know those people that are super loud on Facebook? Schedule a lunch with them. Boy, that's a that's like a salvation detector. If you're really saved, you know, can I eat with somebody who's nuts? You know, or 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 run for office? Well, Pastor Joe, I ran for office and I lost. Awesome, run again. It doesn't mean just because you're right, you're going to win every time. In fact, in the last days, we know there'll be a moral decline. It's going to be an uphill battle. But that doesn't mean that you stop. It doesn't mean that you take your ball and go home. This isn't three strikes and you're out. Throw the pitch again. We're not going to give up on this world just because we weren't successful in the past. Run again. Believe again. Parents, it's going to cost you a lot to raise kids in this world. I am not afraid to raise my kids in this culture. You're not, Pastor Joe? Oh, no. Christians have been raising godly kids in awful, godless cultures for thousands of years. I plan on raising great kids. Amen? Amen? Glad you're clapping because it's going to be a sacrifice. Because if you find out that your public school or private school, for that matter, is an undue burden on your young person, it's time to yank them out. I'd rather have them do online school than be under some groomer like they have over at Kennew Hills High School. I'd rather than be homeschooled. Well, that means that my wife's not going to be able to work. We're not going to be able to afford. Well, maybe you should downsize the house because the most important investment that you have is actually in the lives of your children. Yeah. Where's all that clapping we were just doing? I don't know. <laughs> all right, I'll move off it. Here's the big idea is that it's going to cost us to reach this generation like it has cost every generation of Christians that have made an influence. We are not immune from that, and we can also make a difference in the lives of generations after us. Amen, somebody? Yeah. In Jeremiah 15, the Bible says you are to influence them. Do not let them influence you. All right. Mom, dad, that means that you're going to have to have a guard upon your teenage uh, young person's life. And this might not be popular. I can definitely tell you I won't preach it when we have a student night. But uh, you need to choose your kids' friends. If your kid's hanging out with somebody and they're not, how about this? You even just don't like them. Hey, Dad, do you know what I'm talking about? The men in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. You just don't like them. You don't even know why. Step in, sever. You're not hanging out with my kid. You don't just have to hang out with anybody that you run up Cross in school. That's how it's going to happen. You, you've, you've got to ensure that we're influencing them and they're not influencing us. Choose your kids' friends. I, I encourage you to do it. Parents of teenager, Here, Here's another one. If, uh, if your young daughter or son says, hey, I want to go to the movie theater, dad. Oh, sure. Yeah, here's 20 bucks. Go have fun. When are you going to be home? Where are you going to be? Who are you going to be with? Awesome. Go, go have fun. You only need to do this one time. It's the most effective little trick I have in my book. You show up at the movie theater you get into the theater room where they're at, and you just fold your arms in the back and start watching the movie. You ask any of those ushers, they'll be the happiest people on earth to let you do that. And uh, by chance, maybe your young person will look back and say, oh my gosh, it's my dad. dad. What are you doing here? Oh, nothing. Just making sure that you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be. You need any more money? Here you go. Love you, sweetie. I'm going to go. You only have to do that one time, and you'll put the fear of God. You'll put something on them Mr. Clean can't take off, and, and you need to do that. Amen, somebody? We got to move on. Uh, Next thing, write it down. Uh, How do we do this? We engage in this journey, and we do it as a worship to God. We engage in the great mission of God, and we do that with this heart that, God, we're doing all of it to worship you, to serve you. Amen, somebody? Now, Now, God is looking for people, and he wants to be able to count on you. Second Chronicles, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. To do what? To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal. He's not looking all over to try to hit you with a uh, fly swatter. He's not trying to condemn you or judge you. He's trying to bless you. He's trying to find those people that are willing to take a step and say, God, I will be a person who will make a difference. I will be that Christian and I'll do it as worship to you. In fact, I just want to say to those of you that serve on the GO team, that is the team that Leads worship, and you're an usher or a greeter or guest services, or you serve kids, or you do New Chapel Connect host, or so many other areas that I'm, I'm forgetting right now. Can I just say to the GO team, thank you, church? Can we thank those people on the team for their hard work? What, what are they doing? Those people are making the decision I'm going to be a person who is somebody who's going to serve God, and I'm going to do it in worship to God. Yes. God, I'm going to serve you. It's going to take time out of my week, and I'm going to serve you. Now, for those of you that aren't on the team and you're curious, maybe you've been hearing about it. Maybe you've been hearing about small groups and you're curious, but you don't know about jumping in. Small groups are phenomenal. I encourage you to do them. But if you want to connect with people at church, but you think that small groups are a little bit much for you, joining a team is perfect for people like me who are task oriented because it's like a small group, but we're trying to get something done and we're high-fiving at the end and then we're going to split and so if you're new to church, maybe that'd be a great opportunity for you to meet other people and be in a group setting. It's, it's on a team, but we're getting by without you. Can I be honest? We'd be getting by so much better with you. Right. Yeah. And so I just invite you to join the team. You can fill out a, a New Chapel Connect, uh, I'm sorry, a, a team up card on the wall, or you can attend New Chapel Connect. It happens during both of our services. That's how you join the church, find out more information about us. But the big idea is this, is that you need to serve. And when you serve, when you become that somebody who's on mission with God and you're serving the local church and other, there's something about that Christian experience that, that changes you. And you'll never quite get it unless you're serving somebody that can't pay you back. It's very profound. So we need somebody who will say, I'll do it. I'll stand up. I'll be on the team. Amen, somebody? Amen. Okay, there's some theology, some, some principles. Now I want to get a little bit practical. And I was praying to God. I was like, God, why in the world would anybody not want to jump in on this great opportunity to serve you and to share what uh, you've done in their life? Why would they not do it? And and as I was praying, here's what kind of landed in me is that it's fear. We're afraid to do it. We're afraid of what it would look like, what what the step would take in our life. And, and, And because it's unclear to us, We just never end up engaging. And so what I want to do is talk about that and how we can be people who overcome that fear and engage in this process in a way that is something that's in the context of who we are, our giftedness, our personality, but also something that's influential. Amen, gang? Uh, Jump in with me, write it down, number one. What's holding us back from the mission? I think that we are afraid of the past. Let's not be afraid of the past. Afraid of the past. Here's what I mean by that. I'm not talking about you went through something traumatic per se, and it's just you have a hang-up because of it, and you're you you know, paralyzed because I'm not talking about that. I'm talking to the person who says, well, Pastor Joe, uh, you don't know my resume. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've messed up. You don't know what I did last night. You don't know about my divorces. You don't know about my convictions. You don't know about the things that I've done that have blown up my testimony and so I've got a pass. I don't want to sully what you got going on here. And, and we we're afraid to engage because of who we used to be. Friend, you can't be that person. Yeah. Right. Don't be that person. When Jesus went to go build his dream team, he didn't go for the rock stars of Israel. He went for some, the Bible calls them, ignorant and unlearned men. They were country boys. The disciples were a bunch of redneck hillbillies. I'm convinced. If the Bible was written in Michigan, it was written in Croton, okay? That's, that's the disciples. But they had, this, they had this experience with Jesus, and they all had a past, but they didn't allow their past to define who they were in the present. They didn't allow their past to define who they were going to be in the future. They said, I'm going to overcome that junk, and I'm going to be who God has called me to be, amen? Amen. Your past doesn't disqualify you. In fact, we put it this way, church, your past can actually qualify you to reach people who are going through some of that junk that you used to go through. Yeah, share the freedom you have. I love how it says it in Romans. I'm going to read out of the message. Every version is great, but Romans 29, the message, God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty, never canceled. Never rescinded. King James Version says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He's not sorry that he called you. When you accepted Christ, he knew what you did in your past. He knew what you would do in the future, and he still saved you. Listen to me. When he called you, he knew what you did in your past. He knew what you would do in your future, and he still called you, and he's not sorry about it. Say amen, somebody. Write it down. You, can, uh, you have to let go of the past so that it can let go of you. How do I get over it? If you think you're going to get over your past and then engage, it'll never happen. You're going to wait the rest of your life. You just got to get over it and engage, and then it will let go of you. You will press on. Number two, what's holding us back from engaging in the mission, becoming that somebody? I think that many people are afraid of the crowd. Afraid of the crowd. Afraid of what other people would say, maybe it is about who they used to be, maybe about where they're from, the family that they're from. Well, what would the church people think? Who cares what the church people would think about anything? You go serve your God, and what the church people think can go for a hike. Because you serve your God, it doesn't matter. But the crowd mentality gets into us. The pressure of the crowd begins to weigh on us. And I thank God that Noah was not subject to the crowd mentality. He's building an ark because God told him to build an ark. And we just read over it, but think about it. It had never rained before. So when people are coming up, and they're like, Hey, Noah, what you building? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? It's a big boat to go on big spans of water. What are those? See, buddy, it's, it's going to flood in this, in this area. In fact, it's going to flood all over the world. What's a flood? Well, it's when it rains a ton and it floods. What's rain? They don't know. And the crowd is humiliating him, and the crowd is, is demeaning him, and he's building the ark and building the ark. And, building- and there was room for a lot of people on that ark, by the way. In fact, God closed the door of that ark. Uh, Noah had it wide open. Anybody could have gotten on that thing. They chose not to do it. That was their heart, and that's what we see a lot in the world. They, chew, they don't want it, but those are the loud minority. There's a lot of people in this world that want, it, want God's best for their life. Now, here's the big idea with this, with this crowd mentality, is people grow in a fear of man. Proverbs 29, fear of man will prove to be a snare. It will trip you up. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. What is that talking about there? You think that those two statements are... Are not related; that they're that they're uh, somehow uh, detached, but they're not. The fear of God will prove to be a snare. I'm sorry. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. When you trust in the Lord, you're not going to deal with the fear of man. You trust God. The Bible says, "Let God be true, and every man a liar." So it doesn't matter in this culture if if everybody is saying that you're wrong, but you know you're standing on God's word, you let God be true and everyone else be wrong. You trust in the Lord, you won't have the fear of man. But if you have the fear of man, here it is, you won't trust in the Lord. There's no neutral ground here. The Bible is savage at this point. You trust him or you fear man. Whoa, right? But here's the good news. You don't have to be afraid of the crowd. You have to be afraid of them. I made a point last week that there's people that are working at schools and they're very afraid to say anything because they're like, man, they don't want us to say that. But on the other end, you've got people who are a loud minority that are saying things that are also not part of the policy and they're not afraid of getting fired. Well, that just tells you something. They're afraid of firing anybody, they're just afraid. They have the fear of man. What do you do? You speak as God would have you speak. You influence people's lives like the Lord would have you influence their lives without regard for the policy. Amen, somebody? And so write it down. To be engaged in God's mission, we have to be more concerned about obeying God than looking foolish. Wow. What does that mean? Um, I mentioned uh, how this is really a series that is talking to our church and and really uh, engaging our hearts for what God has next. But I also know that there's people that have been coming to New Chapel and it's your first time even today or uh, the past several weeks you've been coming, trying us out, trying to see if this is a cult or not. I got you. And so as as you're engaging in all of this, uh, you're hearing about God's goodness. But one thing you might have noticed is uh, during worship, people are just going buck wild. I mean, hands are up in the air. And you see Pastor Joe uh, jump, which looks like those old 7-Up commercials, the little polka dot. And, uh, and, and you're seeing that. Maybe you came from a church background that you didn't do that. Let me just help you. I came from a church background that didn't do that. In fact, at Country Church, uh, if anybody would have lifted their hands, nobody did. We knew better. But uh, our deacon, George Jenkins, would have taken a little rubber band out and go, Pew! oh, gosh, you know, you'd put your hands down right away. And here's what people are doing. They're just, they're just praising God in a biblical way. But if you feel like, uh, I can't, uh, that's, what would my husband, what would my wife, what would, what would my mom think if she found out I'm even going to this church, much less, and, and what would my grandma think, and, and, and what, these people, are they looking at me, this is a lot, this high pressure. It's one of the reasons why the lights are a little bit lower during worship time is actually so you're not focused on everybody else, you can just focus on what the Lord has. And here's what I'm going to say. You fear God, not man. And if the Lord says, hey, now's the time. You lift your hands up to him. And if you're thinking, oh, man, everybody's looking at you. We're not. We're not. We ain't looking at you. We're looking at God. We ain't going to go tell your mama, okay? Like, you can lift your hands and praise God. Fear him. Don't fear what other people think. Amen? See, this is important. Because if you can't do that in this context, you're going to struggle in the workplace. They're going to struggle in the marketplace, in the public sectors. We need to be the people that that can do this and take risks in an environment of faith. You know, during the Holocaust, uh, the church in Germany had some of its finest hours and and some of its worst blemishes. Uh, There were churches that were right next to the train tracks. And when the trains would come through, they would be carrying Jewish people on them that had been sentenced at that point to be taken to a concentration camp, ultimately to be killed. And this was known. This is not a mystery in Germany during wartime. This is what was happening. And the churches, what they would do is when the, when the train cars would rumble by the church, instead of being confronted with what was happening in culture, they would just open their hymn books and sing a little bit louder to try to drown out the awful things that were happening. Let that not be said of New Chapel. Amen that as the world begins to fall apart, that we just come in here in our little Christian country club and, and we have our little chair that's, a, oh, I'm sorry, that's my chair. You <laughs> stupid fool, you know. And just, you know and what if it wasn't all about us? And what if we didn't just sing a little louder? What if we were people that once we came in here, we need this. I know I need this. This is oxygen to us. We need some marching orders so we can go run the play. But listen, what if when it's all done, the real service began? What if we left this place and began to engage in a lost and dying world and conveyed to them God's goodness instead of ignoring the awful things that are happening in culture? Can I hear an amen, church? Come on. Number three, let's not be afraid of taking the first step. What's holding us back? I think for a lot of you, it's not even this dream that God's going to make you, you know, the next Mother Teresa to Calcutta. I don't think that. I think it's honestly you're getting tripped up on the first step. You know, with a big old train, uh, it has incredible momentum when it's moving. It can bust through brick walls, right? I've seen incredible videos. But do you know that a small little pebble can stop a big train from even getting started? A small pebble, but, but yet when the pebble's not there and the first step, can I put it that way, is out of the way and it can get basic momentum going, it can eventually plow through brick walls. Here's what I'm trying to say. The first step is often the hardest. You're not so intimidated by the great by and by, it's like, how do I engage with the first step? Uh, I grew up on a lake. I love the water. I'd love to spend every day of my life in the water. Uh, I take like a half an hour shower every day of my life. Uh, my wife thinks of me like one of those chickens at Sam's Club that like I'm in the rotisserie and when I come out, I'm done, you know? And, uh, and, and so like I love the water, but, but uh, my sister, Kai, everybody would tell you when I was growing up, I was the worst person. This it, is so weird with context of my personality type too. Of getting in the water. It took me 15, 20 minutes to get in. I'd get in a little bit and I'd back out and I'd be smiling at everybody, you know, and I'd get a little bit, oh, I don't, you know, stop it. You know, they'd splash me. I'm not going to commit if you splash me, you know. And then, you know, every once in a while somebody would throw me in, don't do that. And, and, and I'd be laughing and I'd be comfortable right away, but it's just, it's get. Does that make sense? Anybody else like me? Like that first step is sometimes so difficult, but we can't let it be like that. Hebrews 11, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in a holy fear, fear is King James English. What would this be in our language? It would be a holy reverence, a severe honor for God. In a holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. What are you saying, Pastor Joe? He had to build a big ark. How do you do that? How do you eat an elephant? You're welcome. One bite at a time. How do you build an ark? Just one nail at a time. I mean, he just engaged in the process. You take the step that's in front of you in the face of ridicule, in the face of people who are disparaging your reputation. It doesn't matter. How did Noah deal with all of it? He just took the first step. And here's what I know. God is speaking to you. Know that he's speaking to you about your next step. For some of you, it's a face of somebody that you know. This would be easy. If we just called them up and invited them, they'd be very apt to come here. They need this. How do you know? Because I need this. Maybe it's a work relationship. that you got a couple of buddies at work, and they're Christians, and you can work on this person for a little while. Hey, we'll get them. We'll get them in the end. But God is stirring in our hearts, and I want you to hear him and hear his heart. Because, again, there's something about this you're not going to understand until you do it. Write it down. We have to step out to find out. We have to step out to find out. We have to step out to see God move in that way. In so many churches, they're preaching this safe Christianity. Look at me. God is safe. But he has not called you to a life of just ease and safety. He's called you to take a risk for him. For some of you, talking about your faith with someone else sounds so horrifying. That might be the cross he's talking to you to. He's conveying, take this step in the midst of all it. Maybe it's, it's somebody who's just hung up on, I gotta go someplace or do something. Listen, take the step. On the other end of it, God's not gonna let you down. You can trust him, but you have to step out to find out. Okay. Because Noah wasn't afraid, Noah saw God's salvation through the storm. It says this in Genesis 9, I have placed my rainbow in the clouds as a sign of my promise until the end of time and to you and to all the earth. I've placed my rainbow. So so the flood comes, it recedes, and what happens? God sends this rainbow in the sky and he says, I'll never judge the world again by a flood. I promise you, you can trust me. It's like, I'm with you in this. And here's what I believe this is saying prophetically to us today, because we're in the days of Noah. You can see it. Is that God has a promise. And all the things he's asking for you to engage in, and all these little risks that he's calling you to, there's a rainbow associated with it. And you might be like, God, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how you're going to come through. What God is saying is, rainbow. In other words, I've delivered people out of more before. I can deliver you out of this now. I've helped people who didn't think they had a voice before. I can help you now. I've helped people get an in socially and win someone over in the past. I can help you again today. Rainbow, like I can do it. I've I've been there. I've done that. I'm God. I love you, and I want to see you through. Do you understand what I'm saying, church? God wants to be there for us, and so we can't be afraid, write it down, of failure. What if it doesn't happen? What if it, what if it collapses? I'm telling you, just like he didn't fail Noah, he's not going to fail you. He didn't fail his only son, Jesus. He's not going to fail you. He didn't call you to this great calling to, to, to put you out there and then not give you any of the provision, not give you any of the ability, not give you any of the grace to do it. No, you can't be afraid of failure. That's the thing holding you back. It's not failure. It's the fear of the failure. So we engage. We say, God, I'll do it. I'll take a step of obedience. Now, church, I've always endeavored to be a pastor to you that practices what he preaches because I've seen it the other way and it's awful. I've always tried to be a person who wasn't just a a leader who uh, uh, leaned on strategy and leaned on uh, uh, motions and cycles within church to build a church. I I wanted to lean on conviction from God and hear from God and say, God, I know that you have this for my church. I know that you have this for me, and and I want to lead out of that. A few years ago, my father-in-law, Pastor Eric, launched out on a new ministry endeavor He called it the pastor's friend. He would begin serving as a missionary and an evangelist, preaching in churches in America, yes, but also working the mission field, and he's had incredible results in the nation of Pakistan. He's been able to open schools, hold crusades with thousands of people, see so many salvations and healings, churches planted, and the like. And I remember when he was launching out at this new endeavor, I I tried to help him in any way I possibly could. I, I just wanted to serve him with it. And at the same time, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, I'm me, and I said, I don't know if this is God. Boy, was I ever wrong. God has been good to you, Eric Harvey. And the fruit that we've seen in the nation of Pakistan and others has been amazing. It has blown me away. Now, I thought, I am a missionary to Grand Rapids. I'm good. These are my people. I'm hanging out with the natives, and, and, and <laughs> we all get along. And as we begin to support Pastor Eric, not just in anything we could do to help, but also support him out of our missions fund. How many of y'all know 10 cents out of every dollar at New Chapel gets, goes outside of this house to reach people in America and all around the world? And we begin to support him out of that endowment, out of that fund, and, and just faithfully rate the check. And as we did that, guys, my heart has moved toward the people of Pakistan. I love Muslims, and Muslims love me. I have a heart to go and preach the freedom that I found in Jesus to them. And so, don't get any ideas. I'm not moving to Pakistan. But tomorrow, Pastor Eric and I leave for a two-and-a-half-week mission to Shiakapura in the Punjab. Pakistan. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what God can do through us. We have opportunity for mass crusades. We have opportunities to free slaves from the brickyard. We have opportunities to maybe even plant some churches. But here's what I'm asking: two things. I I never ask anything of you, but I'm asking this, please. Number one, stay engaged. Why don't we see more senior pastors go on missions trips? Because they have the fear of man. They're afraid that their church is going to be disengaged when they leave. In fact, the stats would show you when the senior pastor is gone, the attendance goes down. I don't think that that's New Chapel. I don't think that that's who we are. Prove me right in that. Be engaged at church. Be engaged in groups. Be engaged in the outreaches that we are uh, having all over. Like, stay focused. This isn't time to lit off the pedal because I'm going to a foreign land. This is time actually to lean in and take ground while the pastor is gone. Are you with me? Can you do that? It would mean the world. Now, I'll be gone two and a half weeks, but that's only two Sundays. Next Sunday, Pastor Brian Capiello is going to be preaching. Anybody excited about that? He's a good preacher. I tell you what, the tech booth loves it because he's a lot less notes than me. And, um, and then the second week that I'm gone, my wife, Kaya Bevilacqua, is going to be preaching. Hey! And so you're not going to miss out. But, but here's the second reason. So number one, stay engaged. The second thing that I need you to do is this, is to pray for us. I'm asking for your prayer. Normally the flow of spiritual things is from me to you. And I don't think this is perverse. I think it's beautiful. I need the flow to turn for the next couple weeks. And I need to know that you have my back. I need to know that when you come to church, and this is very important at the beginning of each message, they're going to be praying for Pastor Eric and I. At the beginning of each message, I need to know that my church is calling out my name before God in this room and, and, and that God Almighty sees that and that, 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 that spiritual momentum is there. I need that, guys. True Pastor Joe style, I can't just go on a missions trip to Guatemala. I've got to go to one of the most dangerous countries in the world to do one of the most logistically complicated missions because I'm me. <laughs> and I think you love me for that. But at the same time, I need your prayers. This is no joke. This is something that, hear me, everybody? Like, I need you. I need you in all of it. And so, I think that as we go, something spiritual is happening. I'm going because I'm in love with those people and I can't wait to preach to them. I can't wait to see them and all their kids. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to do all of that. But it's very spiritual for all of us in the room. Let me tell you why. God has big things for this church. God's on the move at this church. Yeah. Great days are here, but great days are yet to come. Without showing all of my cards, let me just say, great expanse needs to come to this church. And what are we doing? You're sowing your first fruits. You're sowing your best sowing your senior pastor into people you may never meet people that can't pay you back but i believe when we go and we reach the people that nobody wants that god's going to give us in this city the people that everybody wants and that is spiritual and that's a mission in and of itself Wow. i'm not saying that we're all going to send you all to pakistan in fact we're not We'll do a missions trip. Maybe come back with some dates and talk to you about Guatemala. But, alas, this is really more about you being on mission where you're at or wherever you go. It's about you being a person that can live your life with purpose, so you can be like David. Acts thirteen, last scripture. And then I want to pray for us. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. I'm not planning on dying in Pakistan plan on dying as an old man or see you all in the clouds in the rapture but I will say this I want it said of me either way boy Joe he loved God and he served God's purposes in his lifetime before he went to sleep and I pray that for you should the Lord tarry that they'd say oh they love God and they served his purposes in this lifetime church time is short we need to spend our life on something that matters and it is the great Missio day, the mission of God. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, your spirit is moving in this room, speaking to your kids. God, you're showing them next steps. You're showing them, showing them conversations. You're showing them things that need to go and things that need to come into their life. God, I pray that you put grace over all of that. Lord, I pray that they'd be willing to take every step, having no fear of man. And Lord, I thank you that they'd be fruitful. Give them a great first encounter as they take baby steps in the mission of God in their life. And Lord, as we preach about a God of love that wants to engage a church to reach other people about the love of God, I I pray as we brought forth this message that people that don't know you are moved. That as they hear about your love, it moves them. God, I pray that if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you came into my auditorium today, you'd say, Pastor Joe, that's me. I'm hearing about a God of love. This is amazing. I never heard of a church that would do this. But I will be honest, my life's not right with God. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved we call Jesus Lord, you're actually calling him boss. You're saying, I'm done being the boss of my life. I make you the God, the Lord over my life. You take control. What happens? That dead thing, the, 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 the deepest part of you without Jesus is dead. It comes alive. The Bible says that when you make Jesus Lord, you'll avoid a Christless hell. You'll have eternity in heaven when you die. But listen to me, Eternal life doesn't start just when you die. It starts when you accept Christ. So if you want to be fully alive in this world, it is found in a relationship with God through Jesus. It's the only way. And so, friend, if that's you and you'd say, Pastor, I'm not right with God, but I want to be. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to stand you up or call you down to the front. I promise you that. But I'd like to know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, who I'm praying with today. If your life's not right with God, you want to make that decision, slip your hand up right now, all over the room. Got you right there. Thank you, sir. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Ma'am, you can put your hands down. Got you right there, sir. Anybody else? Great job. I got your hand. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? Now, listen. If you raised your hand, I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't even have to look at me. But I saw, and God saw we're going to say a prayer. And the Bible says, if you call him Lord, you will be saved. Doesn't mean you have everything figured out in your head. It's that you figure it out in your heart. What does that mean? I believe beyond everything I understand. And I know I need to be right with God through Jesus. Church, I want you to pray this with them. I want you to pray it as a declaration of your faith. I want you to pray it supporting them. I want you to celebrate as they come into the family of God. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray it out loud with me. Pray, Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. (laughs) Come on, somebody, let's celebrate. (laughs) The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.